Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where this week, as every week, we're putting folks just like you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. And today we are going to talk about how you can pretty much run your real estate business part-time and from anywhere if you have the right technology and the right systems in place. Before we get to that important topic, let's talk about realliferealestateradio.com. That's our fan site for Real Life Real Estate Investing. About uh, 1,470 people are currently fans of Real Life Real Estate Investing, and all of those folks get a weekly reminder that the show is coming up, what the topic is, get the chance to ask questions, get the chance to suggest program topics, and much, much more. So become a fan of Real Life Real Estate Investing by going to realliferealestateradio.com anytime, signing up, and you too will get all the benefits of being a fan of Real Life Real Estate Investing. And in light of the very sad news today about Oscar Mayer. I really can't do the whole bacon bit today. Bacon bit. <laughs> it's like George is in the room. So my guest today is Mike Butler, who is a former police officer and now full-time real estate investor whose rental income exceeds $1 million a year, who bought 50 properties a year, even when he was working full-time as an undercover police detective who has been featured in Money Magazine and the Wall Street Journal Radio Network. He's a dad, an investor, an author, a teacher, a trainer, a coach, and a lender, and he's joining us from his home in Louisville, Kentucky. Mike, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hello, Vina. Can you hear me okay? Yep, yep. We can hear you great, Mike, and I appreciate you being on the show today because um, one of the things that we're always, always trying to do in, I guess, our business or any business is figure out easier ways to run it, ways to do more business with less hands-on stuff. And that's what you're going to talk about today. And before you do, let's, let's, let's go back to this thing about undercover police detective. Uh, that's right. How that's how right. how did you get from there to real estate? How did I get started in uh, real estate when I had a job like that? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, the job's a lot more exciting. And <laughs> it really was. But uh, I started off as a just a regular police officer here in my hometown in Louisville, Kentucky, with a uniform and a regular police car. And I kind of worked my way up to plainclothes detective and then got to do the uh, long-term undercover stuff. So I had uh, the long hair, the beard, I wore bib overalls, and we got to do, uh, uh, focused on contract killings, murder for hire, and uh, organized crime. Wow. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) And, uh, oh, but anyway, uh, this thing called real estate, I saw where a bunch of my peers would get aggravated with their boss. They would get their time on. They'd throw up that middle finger and say, I'm going to retire and I'm out of here. Well, guess where they were about two and a half, three weeks later? They ended up getting a job somewhere else. Uh-huh. And what was really sad is I would see a lot of these guys, They, you know, Churchill Downs, where the Kentucky Derby's run here in my hometown, they'd get a job, I'm not kidding, Vina, on the backside of the track, riding around in a little golf cart making 
cost of minimum wage working the graveyard shift. Hmm. Isn't that horrible? Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, you know, I might have the best job on the planet, but I better do something so I don't end up that way. And so I just, uh, without having any kind of, never bought Carlton sheets or uh, nobody saying, Mike, you need to do this or take a look at it, I went out and bought me a little uh, stinky, nasty two-bedroom hut house, and I renovated the thing myself in 13 days, and I put a tenant in there, and lo and behold, the thing was generating about $190 a month. Hmm. And that was on a 15-year loan, so I bought it cheaper than what the market value was. And uh, the house across the street went up for sale. Mm-hmm. And it was being sold by a seller who I had, who turned me on to our Kentuckiana Real Estate Investors Association. Ultimately, that's how I found out about it. And he was selling it cheaper than this other one appraised. And guess what, Vina? It was pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty house. All I had to do was change a lock. And so I bought that, and my wife and I had a discussion, and she she pretty much told me, hey, Mike, uh, if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, uh, sounds like a duck, it probably is, and if something's too good to be true, it probably is. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand anything called depreciation, but uh, in, she clipped my wings after that second house. Mm-hmm. said, no more. <laughs> Let's just let this stuff sit. We opened up a savings account, and we let the real estate, those two houses, just let the funds sit there. And within tw- in, in about 12 months, Vina, 8000 bucks. Wow. 8000 wow. bucks, mm-hmm. And she said, you can buy another one. <laughs> <laughs> you got the nod, huh? <laughs> yeah. And so I, I got, I got the, the uh, third one, and, uh, and I really got the fever. Then I got a fourth one. Then I got a fifth one, and I decided I better find out what this stuff is really about, and that's when I joined our local RIA group. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I haven't looked back since. And because of that, I'm not kidding, uh, our local RIA group, directly and indirectly, I got exposed to education opportunities, training, boot camps, seminars, things like you're doing right here. And uh, if we'd have had that in my hometown back then, I'd been all over that. But I became a sponge for information. And being a sponge is what allowed me I would think, to turbocharge, to just really jumpstart. And and you can relate to this. And, and, and imagine this just literally blow past a lot of full-time investors because of the knowledge, the resources, and the tools that you have invested your time in to learn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, now, the, the thing is, though, Mike, all the information and education in the world doesn't let somebody buy 50 houses a year when they've got a full-time job. There, there, there's something, although, you know, I, we, you do run into a lot of people who seem to think that if they go to enough boot camps, that'll happen automatically. <laughs> but that's just, that's, that's not the way it is. Uh, you know, 50 houses a year is either an 80 hour week or it's something else. How, wh- wh- how did you manage to do that? Uh, I, I kind of felt like that's an excellent question. I get asked that all the time. I did it in about five hours a week. And the reason the, your, your answer, to, to just cut right through it, the answer is I was forced to do that because I was a dad. I had a full-time job. I was going to court. I would travel out of town on doing these long-term investigations, but I wanted, I was so passionate. I was so passionate about having something there for me when I retired. That was my goal. Never did I dream I'd do 50 properties a year, but I went down to Florida. You, you I know you went down there, too. They would have those annual 
real estate investor conferences, uh, Orlando, Clearwater. And one year, Brian Tracy was the featured speaker down there. And this is when the big buzzword was quantum leaping your goals. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're, really, you're, really, you're really dating us here, Mike, by the way. I'm what? I'm you're, dating you're, you're dating us? us. This was, this was a while <laughs> back. Well, you asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, quantum leaping your goals. And I, would, I, I enjoyed going down to Florida back then, not only to learn stuff, but it was kind of a uh, that time to reflect on what you did last year and what my goals are going to be for the upcoming year. Mm-hmm. And so in a quick review, I saw in the previous year I'd set a goal to buy one house a month, mm-hmm. which I thought was a very tall order, and I bought 18. Mm-hmm. So then I set a goal for that coming year to do two a month, which would have been 24. Mm-hmm. And after hearing Brian Tracy talked about quantum leaping i said okay quantum leap let's do that he says if you quantum leap your goals you'll just get more results than you would have ever gotten by setting your own goal so i took 24 times four is 96 i rounded it up to 100 and i said well shoot far if that's where i'm going to go let's just do it this year and get it over with <laughs> and so i turned it on did i achieve 100 properties doing 100 deals that year no vena i did not i fell short i only did 84 and i ended up picking like 52 investment properties up pulling that off but look what that was compared to my original goal so that was that was huge and what i did is i crafted systems that allowed me melissa will you get that (laughs) (laughs) uh but i crafted systems that forced me to get results and and i'll give you one of the tips that allowed me to pull this off instead of doing onesie twosie running around and, and somebody calls about a property for sale and you do your homework and get your legal pad out or your notebook and then you write down a book or pages and pages and pages of information. Then you schedule and make an appointment. Well, I would burn the late night oil like back then we didn't have the Internet. So I'd use a Sunday paper, look in the classifieds. I'm riding around in a police car. I'd scribble down some notes, notice for, for, for sale by owners. And I tell you what, guys, even real estate signs, realtors, you know, properties listed by real estate agents, they were candidates too. Not necessarily when they first popped up, but if you ride by the same same street and you see two months later that property still sitting there, uh, it might be worth a phone call. So I might generate a list of, say, I don't know, 40 possible suspect prospect properties, and then I would try to chew on those, and I would come down with a list of maybe 5 to 10 or 12 properties, and I would schedule them all. Now, you're really going to like this. I would schedule those things on my off day. If it happened to be Saturday morning, which most folks are, I would schedule them Saturday morning. Start off in the war zone where the bullets fly late night Mm -hmm. and, say, start that at 8.30. And then kind of do like utility companies do to us. Oh, we'll be there between 8.30 and 10 10 Mm a.m. And so I would schedule these in blocks of time, and I would have a little index card, and I could go through on a Saturday morning, Vena, I could go through 15, 16, 17 properties. Now, these are not just random properties you pull out. I did a little pre-screening on the front end, you know, spent an hour or two pre-screening those earlier in the week. Then I would call, leave messages to make an appointment. I want to see this house here at 123 Main Street uh, between 830 and 930 on Saturday morning. I want to see the next one between this time and that time. And uh, I really didn't know what I was doing, but I did not have a lead-generating machine like we are used to today. I had to go out and shake the bushes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so I would go through those houses very quickly. I would be done before 11 o'clock before lunch, and I would make up offers, guess, on how many properties there, Vina? Take a wild guess. Uh, all of them, I'd assume. Yeah, every <laughs> one of them. 
And don't wig out, guys. You didn't have to do this every week, but if you could do 10 of them on a Saturday and then two weeks later maybe do another 10, in about four to six weeks you got 40 offers out there. And if you're doing your homework before you pre-screen them, you're going to get something that comes, comes back at least a counter, some kind of negotiation, and you can counter those. And then I just gradually, maybe I do it once a month, and maybe once every two months, and then maybe once every three months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so that's how I kind of got that started and, and pulled that off. So just working more efficient, working smarter, not necessarily harder. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Our number's here in the studio. If you have any questions for Mike Butler, how he got started, how he generates a million dollars a year in rental income, give us a call at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or send us an email by going to askvina.com. Hey, kids, it's Mr. Drew. Until you go to realliferealestate.com, I'm going to sit here and continue to tease this kitten. That's right. That's right. The feather gets you. The feather gets you, but you don't get the feather. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Mike Butler, who is the author of the Amazon number one best-selling business book, Landlording on Autopilot. And we're talking about more efficient ways to do things in your business. Mike just gave one of the best pieces of advice that I have ever heard on this show, which is go look at houses five at a time, ten at a time, and yeah, make offers on all of them. And of course, the, the biggest fear everybody has about that, Mike, I hear this over and over, is, well, what if I make ten offers and they're all ten accepted? That Like, they people actually are scared of that. <laughs> I was, too. I can relate to that. Yeah, well, the, the reality is if you're making the kinds of offers that, you know, you need to make as an investor, the chances of more than one getting accepted are pretty darn slim, which is why you make them 10 at a time. You know, everybody's numbers everywhere in the country tend to go if you've pre-screened the leads like you did. It really takes about 20 offers to get one accepted. Uh, in fact, I had it worked out to a formula, Vina, back then with, without having a lead-generating machine in place. I knew I had to make 20 offers a week to buy two-and-a-quarter properties per week. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, about one out of ten, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which one is... out of ten offers hit. Now, today it's a, it's a lot higher. Of course, we know what we're doing, but that that's where I was at back then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, um the other interesting thing about your your early real estate career, and of course, as as time has continued, this is uh, even more so. Undercover cops don't make a lot of money, and to buy that sort of volume of properties, if you were using banks, you know, if you were financing them conventionally, you would have to have loads of cash, you know, <laughs> great credit score, good income, et cetera, et cetera. So I understand that you have you have not used banks, nor have you used hard money lenders to buy your properties. How do you get the money to do this? Wow, that's such a hot topic in today's market, isn't it? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's sort of like I was country before country was cool. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, a couple of phrases here. One is, if you can't make money without money, you can't make money with money. Mm-hmm. And I might have those backwards, but I think you know what I'm trying trying to say. So you've got to have a desire uh, to pull it off. And when it comes to banks, I just saw all the fees that they charge. 
and how they were really how they could jerk your chain, you're almost asking them for permission to buy something. And then the other thing, uh, guess what banks usually do when you write an offer to buy a property and then the seller says okay, and then you take your purchase and sale agreement into the bank. What do they want? They want like twenty percent down, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. especially on investment property. Guess how much I had? Zero. I had a thousand bucks in the bank when me and David got started. So I couldn't qualify for that program. Mm-hmm. So I had to adapt, and I was forced to adapt. Now, if I probably had a big chunk of cash sitting in the bank, I might have fell victim to that as well. But I felt like I, I could not play. I could not uh, use that. The bankers as a resource to cash, so I created other ways. And let me tell you it straight up. I am not talking about, and don't don't get this right, folks, uh, Vena gives you good, solid information on this. I'm not talking about going out and doing kitchen table closings and getting contract for deeds and real loose and dangerous options. I'm talking about real, true purchases where you you have a professional closing, you get title insurance, and you meet in an attorney's office or or a competent title company. I'm not talking about doing these things um, shady or, or something like that. I'm talking about doing it the right way. So I would actually get the deed. And uh, some of those ways to do that, one of my favorites, okay, favorites was uh, long-term and short-term seller financing. Mm-hmm. And another one was uh, taking over payments on somebody's loan. Mm-hmm. So those are two huge, huge uh, resources that you can use to do all the number of deals, especially in today's market, without ever having to go to a bank and ask for permission to buy an investment property. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so basically, you were using common creative methods that most educated real estate investors know about. And they know how to do it. Um, you were using it back even before the the, the whole kind of credit debacle that's <laughs> that's going on today. Uh, that, by the way, has made those strategies much more popular, most uh, both among the uh, uh, sellers who need to sell and buyers as well. And uh, you were able to do it at a volume that w- that uh, um, really generated a lot of deals for you as well. Uh, I want to give listeners our, our contact information one more time so that they can ask any questions of Mike Butler, 772-9658 if you're here in the greater Cincinnati area. If you're outside the area, call 877-772-9658. Or send us an email by going to askvina.com or askvina at gmail.com if you're sitting there uh, on your little smartphone and you can just send an email. got a phrase that I can share with you that I used when I got started. What's that? Okay, and keep in mind, when we got started, it was uh, we had a tendency to focus on houses that were in need of repair, deferred maintenance. They were stinky, broken. They needed some help. Mm-hmm. And we just, I mean, we, we could buy them cheaper that way. But here's the phrase I would use on those kind of houses. Hey, Mr. and Ms. Seller, if I give you my cash, how can I do the repairs? Mm-hmm. 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 And I can't tell you how many times that actually worked. If I give you my cash, how can I do the repairs? Uh-huh. And they know they can't sell it to anybody else or a first-time home buyer because the property won't qualify. Right. Right. That was huge. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a uh, a good way to explain to a seller who's not used to hearing, "Yeah, I'll buy your house, but you got to take payments." <laughs> why uh the why that might be the case. Now, Mike, our, our our real topic today is um how to how to make your make your real estate business run more efficiently, uh do more work 
for you as opposed to you doing the work. And I understand that that even today, um, where you, you're full time real estate investor now. I mean, you've 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 left the police force at at, at this point, but that you're still always looking for better ways to generate business, more efficient ways to generate business. Can you can you give us some examples? And I and I need to remind listeners that we are here on public radio, so uh, you know Mike is going to tell you how he does these things without promoting any particular uh, program or method of of doing so. Right. Okay. Um, how to work smarter and not harder. Uh huh. Um, first of all, I would say in creating systems, and I'm real proud to share this with you, Vina. My wife and I we owned and operated. 75 investment properties, running them out of our basement office while we both worked full-time jobs before we made a huge decision to hire a part-time office person to work about five hours a week. And you and I both know that uh, we know folks that might have 12 properties and have a full-time office manager. Mm -hmm. That's not very efficient. Mm -hmm. So uh, I will, uh, where do we start today? The tools, resources, and tips that we can give our listeners Mm -hmm. on learning how to be more efficient. Well, when we get into that, I just want to back up just a tad bit and share with your listeners what I've done and what I do, because I don't want them to think, I mean, so many folks there want to, uh, they hear like landlording. Well, he's just a landlord. Well, no, that's not what I do. Let me share with you what we do. We have, what I've done and what I do, buy broken, stinky, nasty houses, and we fixed those up and made those into rentals. And we did that in single-family, apartment communities, even commercial property. I wholesale, I hotel, retail properties, rent, and I love doing the rent with option to buy, especially with the stimulus program that's going on right now. I love seller financing, both buying and selling. I'm a hard money lender. I like using the IRAs to uh, invest. A broker with real estate agents. I have a property management company that manages the properties that we own and perhaps over a dozen different companies that own the real estate, namely LLCs. And we have our education company. And the thing I want to point out here is that this system, if you will, to to be more efficient and allow me to work part-time, not full-time, but to work part-time on my real estate business, uh, anything I could imagine doing in my real estate business, uh, I've incorporated into this. But when I got started... Let me share with you some of the resources and tips that uh, investors can use today. Right now, we got this world of high tech, and it's it's very challenging for me to think about how I got started and what I did versus applying it in today's world, kind of like eight-track tapes versus uh, a flash drive or a thumb drive, you know, or an MP3 player. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would say folks today would have to have a website. Mm-hmm. And not just necessarily as a billboard. That's what websites were used for when they, uh, when we first got ours as well, as a billboard. So you could put your information out there on the World Wide Web, on the Internet, and they could learn about you, and they could find you and trip over you. But in today's world, in, in 2009, use that to capture leads. And so you can use that to capture leads on motivated sellers, on private lenders, on prospecting for tenants, and on buyers, and on my real estate website in my hometown, Vena, we have a little form where if they see something that uh, we've got a house on there that they like or a property that they like, instead of just asking them to email us or to call the office, we put a little form on there. 
mm-hmm. and what's your name, your your email, your phone number, What uh, when do you want to move? And, and then one of my favorite phrases is giving them an opportunity to throw up. <laughs> and I won't call it a rental application online, but call it a form. And it gives them a place they can go in there 24 hours a day. And now what happens with that, for example, that gets emailed to my leasing agent. And now they have a phone number to call these people. If you tell them to call the office and it's 830 at night, nobody's there. Mm-hmm. So use a website as a good uh, lead capture tool. Mm-hmm. And you can use it for anything you do in your business, including marketing your properties and your services. You want something that's free? And this, this has took the place of my prehistoric pager that I've religiously carried for over a decade. You ready for this one? Mm-hmm. Evoice.com. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm. Evoice.com. Think of it like uh, the pager for 2009, but instead of being something you clip on your belt, it's online. This is an awesome tool, and it's free. I use the Evoice Plus. And if you have rental properties, you can use this as an emergency number. So you get to pick your own local number, and then when folks call in, you can have a greeting on there and say, okay, this is uh, Bill and Vena's uh, property management company. If you have an emergency, please leave your name, address, uh, description of your emergency, and your phone number. And, and so then that'll get saved like a voicemail. And what's really cool, you can have it set up. So you get it as a text message and you get it as an email. And then they archive it and save it for you somewhere in, in, the, somewhere in the sky so you can go back and, and uh, all this is documented. That is great. But what else could we use that same service for? How about sellers? How about buyers? What if you're pitching available rental properties and you got a yard sign? But mm-hmm. you take your little local number that you get for free from eVoice Plus, put that on your yard sign, and direct everybody to call that. And you could have a greeting on there that says, hey, this is 123 Main Street. This is a three-bedroom, two-bath. It rents for this. Security deposits that. If you want to see photos inside, outside, or more, go to our website. And you do all this. You don't even have to touch the phone. And, and you can take a whole lot of information and still capture leads. I think that's a great tool. Now, uh, I'm excited about that. I don't want to, everybody knows how a pager works, but uh, we don't have to pass a pager around when somebody takes a cruise or goes on vacation. <laughs> uh, and you can have this set up to multiple people. It could go to your office manager. It could go to your, your maintenance guy, whatever. That's a great resource and tool that's free. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing, how do you market um, things that will do a lot of work for you? Have you heard of postlets.com? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's another yeah, free that service. Blast, yep. that, that does a blast to many sites. So you go to one place, enter information about your properties, and it'll blast it out to Craigslist and, and uh, multiple sites that I don't even have a clue, but it works. And we get folks calling us back on that. Hotpads.com is a new kid on the block to market properties. And um, this is one that I have never heard anybody else use, Vina. And I want, I want your opinion on this, too. Mm-hmm. As I grew my business, we kind of had a phase one where it was mom and pop, and we did it from our basement. Then we kind of went to a phase two where uh, I got an office, and I had a full-time office manager. And then we kind of went to a phase three. We started branching out and doing other things, and I think you can relate to that. But what we discovered was uh, getting messages communicated to everybody, everybody being on the same page, what's going on in the office. I, I was off for a sick day or two days because I had to take my kid here or there. So that uh, was a huge challenge for me. 
And here's how I fixed it. Get your own and create your own real estate activity blog. Not a log, but a blog, B-L-O-G. You can get it free if you go to, like, blogger.com. That's what we use. And what's really neat about this, Vina, I didn't know this, but you can set it up so it's private, so the world cannot see it unless you're a, a hacker or something like that. So I have, like, myself and my office manager and my leasing agent who all work in the office. They have access to this activity block, and only they can post messages there. Mm-hmm. Now, do I have to babysit it? No, because every time it gets updated, I get a text message or I, I get an email, I think. I get an email, have it set up so anytime anybody puts something on there, uh, I get an email. And what's really cool about that, think about how uh, you can hold somebody, eh, let's say, responsible. They can't say, you never told me that, mm-hmm. or no, I don't remember that. You can go right back there and look, and it's all dated and time-stamped. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very, very cool. Now, Mike, we... Yeah, do, and that's free. We we do have a um, a message that came to us via askvena.com. Uh, and, of course, we'll want to again invite listeners with any questions at 772-9658 in the greater Cincinnati area or at 877-772-9658 outside the area. And uh, this is from Cindy in Hollywood, Florida. She says, need your help. Our tenant's lease is up July 31st, and they will be moving. Our lease to them states that we may show the house within 30 days of their lease expiring, which would be July 1st through 31st, during reasonable hours to new prospective tenant. The existing tenant does not want anyone in the house when she's not there, which limits the time we can show it. She works nights and sleeps most of the day. What rights do we have? Do we need her permission to enter? Will we get in legal trouble if we enter and she's not there? Excellent question. Okay, number one, first and foremost, abide by your landlord-tenant laws in your state and in uh, where you operate. So you got to go by that. Mm-hmm. Number two, uh, you mentioned the word rights. Okay, uh, when you do a rental agreement with a tenant, they have the possession rights to the property, and so let's not let's just change the whole. Uh, attitude right here, the relationship. And instead of you trying to butt heads with them to get out and to allow you to show this to prospective tenants, why don't you step into the tenant's shoes here for just a moment? How would you like to have your home available as an open house for folks to come tromping through there? That's not very fun. That's not very exciting. Here's what we do, and I think this is your answer. That was Cindy, is that right? Cindy, yep. Okay, what I'd recommend, Cindy, is have a good relationship with those folks and then document that they want to give them a receipt that they, they intend to vacate the property by such and such a date. Then give them an opportunity to make some money. Hmm. They're worried about their security deposit, so let's give them some move-out instructions. Let's give them the procedures that you expect them to follow, such as giving you a phone call three to five days in advance to schedule their move-out inspection. Keep the utilities on, for example, some of those simple things. But when it comes down to getting that thing rented properly, tell let, let her know that you're going to advertise her home to be available to rent by the date that she's giving you. And you're going to encourage folks to ride by that neighborhood and check out the outside of her home. So keep the boxes up and all this. Now, your tenant that's moving out, they got their, hand, they got their hands full. They're transferring utilities, putting deposits up here, lining up a moving truck, getting people to help, and... Um, 
And so they've got their hands full. What else would be really wonderful for the tenant that's moving out? Give them an opportunity to make some money. And so, Cindy, just tell your tenant, say, hey, if you help us find a good tenant, here's what I'd like to have your cooperation here. If you help us get a good tenant like yourself, we'll pay you pay you a referral fee. Now, it's up to you, whatever that, that's going to be, but it's going to have to be a decent amount. And you might go by a percentage of the monthly rent, something I would pay as much as half a month's rent or maybe even a month's rent depending on the property. But here's what I want to do. When we get somebody that fills out an application and they get pre-approved, we've already pre-screened them. They're pre-approved to rent your home. We would like to be able to call you, Cindy, and make an appointment that is convenient for both you and this prospective tenant, and then you allow them to see the inside of your home. Now, what's beautiful about that, Cindy, you're not having an open house. And do you have to escort that applicant down there to Cindy's home? I mean, uh, to your tenant's home? No. Is, is the, your tenant going to badmouth you? No, they want to get it rented so they can get a referral fee. So they're going to say, Cindy's the best thing since sliced bread. So instead of butting heads with them, try to create a relationship where they'll work with you. And um, I found that that, is, that goes a long way, a long way, and it's a lot better. Mm-hmm. You got anything to add to that one, Venus? No, no, no. I think that's a that's a great idea. Bribe your tenant to let to make them follow the lease. Yeah. <laughs> that's a yeah. good idea. Uh, Mike, we need to take a quick break. I want to invite, uh, once again, anyone who's listening and has a question to give us a call at 772-9658-877-772-9658, or you can send us an email by going to askvena.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and my guest today is Mike Butler, who is a, a landlord and a wholesaler and a retailer and a past president of Kentucky Anaria there in Louisville and just does all sorts of stuff and uh, would be a great person for you to ask pretty much any kind of question of at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. And uh, we do have another question that came from Jerry in St. Paul, Minnesota. And, um, (laughs) okay, Mike, this one is, could you talk about the bill in Congress that I hear will take away some of our creative financing? And, of course, the bill that he's referencing is... H.R. 1728, which has passed Congress, is in committee in the Senate, and is not so much going to take away our creative financing as it is going to give you so many hoops to jump through with it that you're just not going to be able to be in compliance with the law unless you're Citibank. Wow. Uh, As far as answering that question, uh, what I found out is to, to get involved round up all your other fellow investors and contact your local politician and those folks that represent you. But as far as strategies dealing with something that's being proposed, I don't worry about that until uh, until it hits. Mm-hmm. And uh, National REA actually has, which is the, the, the big kind of umbrella organization that's over all the real estate uh, groups in the country, actually has a website that deals with what this thing is and you can you can like print out the text of it if you really want to read all 300 pages of it but uh, also has some commentary by by the the lobbyists and some national speakers and so on 
and it is at relegislativeissues.com. That's R-E-L-E-G-I-S-L-A-T-I-V-E, issues.com. And I think they've got a little online petition down there on the bottom to just say, you know, we're, we're for beating this thing sort of thing. So that is, uh, that's a good place to go if you'd like more information about that. Right now it's sort of just sitting there uh, in committee and not much is happening with it. But uh, thank you very much for your question. Um, okay, Mike, so um, let's go back and, and talk some more about uh, rental properties because that's that's sort of the thing that you are best known for. I mean, you you do you do a lot of things, but generally, as you kind of travel around the country and talk, that your your topic is generally like how to run your real estate business, how to manage it better, and so on. Uh, you have a really interesting statistic about investors who have fifteen or more units and how much of their rent that they're supposed to be collecting that they actually collect that was a mind-boggling you you must have heard about that one but uh, i chris mccarty one of my fellow investors here in my hometown he stopped by one day when i was uh, preparing a training session back around 2002 2003 and he's happened across one of my reports and he says holy cow is that what you're getting I said, yeah. He says, I'm only getting 85%. Mm-hmm. I said, why? He says, I don't know, but who measures that stuff? Who compares these kind of numbers with other investors, other property managers, as far as what they're getting? And that just blew me out of the water. Now, I'm not talking about somebody's got one property or even two properties, and they can you know, run that with one arm behind their back while working a full-time job. I'm talking about somebody that has uh, a number of irons in the fire, and let's say 15 or more units, and that number was mind-boggling. That the number one answer, it didn't matter what town I went to, Vina, it could be California, Kentucky, Ohio, Florida, number one answer is 85. And even then it was a guesstimate on their part, and a lot of them would just have a deer-in-the-headlight look. They didn't know. Mm-hmm. And that was horrible. But we get more than 100% mm-hmm. by implementing uh, proven, at this point, proven strategies and techniques that that work to generate extra income. And I'll share one of them with you. Mm-hmm. Would you like to hear one of these? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I discovered one thing that as I, as I was able to keep my fingers on my business and keep my finger on the pulse of my business more efficiently, I discovered when I started having tenant turnovers, and we want to keep a good tenant forever, don't get me wrong, but they still have things that happen where they have to move, whether their family gets too big, job relocation, what have you. And what I was experiencing is that many times we'd have a good tenant that would move out and leave a mess. I was baffled with that. And then sometimes we'd have a, a tenant that would move out not only and, and leave a mess, but sometimes they turn in many rehabs or major rehabs. And so then that's why I created that thing that we described and went over briefly with Cindy. But as part of the final settlement with these folks, most of us on the call who do have investment property do know that seldom, okay, on rare occasion, do you get a tenant 
that gets 100% of their security deposit back. We want that to happen. That's what we dream about. That's what we crave. But most of the time, they owe you some money. And most of the tenants, that when, they, when you do their final settlement, they don't have any money because they shot their wide moving between renting the truck, transferring utilities, and, and putting up deposits, buying the beer for the people to help them to move, all that stuff. Uh, they're just kind of short on cash. And then here we go, the, 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 the big investor sending them a bill. Send us some more money. They just freak out. So what I did is I crafted what I call a payment plan. And I've got, an, I've got the payment plan for them. I give them three choices. So I let them pay. But they can do a plan A, a plan B, or plan C. Plan A, how about $25 a month for a long time? And I want you to charge interest on this, folks, okay, because we're financing it. Okay, plan B, just raise it up a little bit, maybe $50 a month or $100 a month for not so long a time. And then plan C, give them a discount. If they owe you 600 bucks, let them pay 550 right now to make it go away. Now, most investors, they just look at me like I'm an idiot <laughs> because we want it. most investors, when do they want their money? Uh, ASAP? No, <laughs> <laughs> they want it yesterday. They're just that greedy. <laughs> and, but, but think about this. Your mailbox, how many $25 checks can you fit in your mailbox? All of them. Yeah. In the whole world. And when they, when they, <laughs> yeah, and when they sign this little payment plan thing, it's turned it into a promissory note. And uh, I've got one property, for example, Vina, where the tenant moved out over four years ago, and they're still paying $44.83 a month, and I've got that same house rented out to somebody else at market value. Now, that's just one example of putting something simple in place, letting it work for you. And we don't have to – there's no sales pitch. You just include that, that little form, pre-filled out form, let them select whatever program or plan they want, and, and that works. And uh, folks are just ecstatic about that. You're going to save them money. You know, you're not going to charge them attorney fees and, and everything the attorneys win when you turn it over to them. Mm-hmm. But that's just one example. Does every tenant play? No. <laughs> but if you never ask, none of them will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ever since uh, I interviewed you on here about 18 months ago, we started doing that with our tenants. And uh, we currently have a tenant who's on a payment plan with us that involves her paying $700 a month. It was an expensive house, and she got pretty far wow. behind and did a lot of damage. So she owes us about $13,000, but she's paying $700 a month, uh, which is you know as much as, as the rent on one of my cheap properties. And uh, we've got another one that is uh, that just finished paying us off at 125 bucks a month while the house was rented to someone else, just like you said. So, uh, and that's, I think that's probably the, 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 the only two times we've ever collected lost rent or damages from a tenant because going to court doesn't work. You know, you can get the judgment and eventually someday somebody might pay you, but uh, it's, uh, it's much easier to make it easy for them, just like you said. And another one of your strategies for collecting more rent than you're actually due uh, that I really like is uh, you, you invoice your tenants. You, you, send oh, them a, yeah. you send them a bill every month just like you were a credit card company or something. Yeah, we bill them on the 20th every month for their last 30 days of activity. Mm-hmm. And that just looks professional. What I found out, Vina, is, you know, when, when, my, wife, when my wife and I were operating those, those boatloads of properties while having a full-time job and running it from your office on wheels, you know, on the pickup truck, your phone just rang off the wall. And... When we started uh, billing everybody on the 20th of the month, I started getting written, like, memos and messages instead of burning up that phone. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and now that gives you documentation with date and time stamps. And, yeah, that's uh, I've kind of taken that for granted. But a lot of folks, if you haven't heard of that, that's awesome. Yeah, and part of the invoice, of course, becomes, you know, if, if last month you paid your rent late and you didn't include the late fee, now it's part of this month's rent. And if there was a, you know, a repair that we did that you caused <laughs> wasn't wasn't mm-hmm. ordinary wear and tear that gets included in this way that stuff doesn't get forgotten and it doesn't get held over and held over and held over until the end of the lease they're gone you're trying to collect from them then etc and it, it really does help you collect a whole lot more of what's due to you than the usual method of just sitting around passively and waiting for that envelope to come believe it or not mike we have another question from saint paul uh, minnesota from scott he says, when you go out of town for an extended period of time, how do you deal with incoming seller leads? Would you recommend forwarding these leads to other trustworthy investors and splitting the profits from any deals? <laughs> oh, now who's, who'd this come from? That's from Scott in St. Paul. Scott. Okay, Scott. Okay, even before the high-tech stuff, uh, I was sitting on the top deck of a cruise ship in the port of Barbados and did a deal. Now, why in the world would I want to forward that to somebody else? And I'll tell you how I did it real fast. I would check my voicemail on my cell phone back then my, my, while my wife and kids were still sleeping in their stateroom, their cabin. And this lady that I had met about a year ago called me up and said, Mike, you know, I wasn't ready then, but now I'm ready. So I talked to her on the phone. She was ready to sell. I did a conference call, got my attorney on the phone. We scheduled it, and she picked out the date and time. Of course, I have my attorneys, got my power of attorney for these kind of things. I got off the phone with those two, and then I called my banker, who's about a block away from my closing attorney, and he took a check down to the bank, and I did the deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, that came from a cell phone. I could do the same thing with email, so why would I want to forward my leads to somebody else? As far as being anywhere on the planet and functioning and operating your office, you can do this now. There's free software out there. I don't want to say software. Let's call it a uh, uh, free program that's online that allows you to access your uh, desktop or a computer in your real estate office from anywhere in the world with Internet access. And so I can be sitting on a cruise ship having having a nice cool drink with Vina, and I can go right online, sitting there in the cruise ship, in the, the lounge area or whatever, and go right into my desktop in my real estate office. Mm-hmm. The technology today is what allows us the, the freedom and the flexibility to be anywhere and to function. Uh, I, would, I would travel around doing the police work thing and check with my guys that are doing the rehabs, renovations, work orders, repairs. I could check with them anywhere on the planet. They can't tell where you're calling from. They don't know where you're at. Mm-hmm. So uh, don't think that you have to uh, be in your hometown. And, and what I also, I'm reading between the lines here with Scott, and I think Vina do this. When I'm reading between the lines, is Scott, stop dropping everything and running to go look at a house or a property when somebody calls you. Mm-hmm. Do your homework a little bit online. I can get on Google, and we can drive down the street. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not what it looks like today, but it's, it's, it's probably within a few months or so. Mm-hmm. That's how we when we screen tenants that live out of town. We'll drive down the street to where, where, what town they live in. <laughs> mm-hmm. and then, I mean, it's just 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 take the blinders off and be a little bit. Uh, we really can operate anywhere. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very true. And I, and and I and I've actually witnessed Mike making deals on a cruise ship. So yeah, he's he's not in this case kidding whatsoever. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So um, yeah. Good good advice and 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 lots of good resources, Mike. Really appreciate that. Um, many many. Uh, great ideas for for really getting started in this whole effort to spend less spend more time on cruise ships and less time nailed to your office chair <laughs> making deals. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciate you being with us today, Mike, and um, thank you so much for all your great advice. Uh, don't forget that the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati meeting is next Thursday at uh, the usual location at the Jordan Crossing. It's going to be a speed networking night, so write it down your calendar and get there. There's more information available at CincinnatiRIA.com or 859-292-7342, 859-292-RIA. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.